Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Are you intimidated by all the TTRPG podcasts and don't know where to start? Sawyer's Thoughts is here to help. Hosted by me, Sawyer Wolf, I will comb the internet and bring you my thoughts on the myriad of podcasts so you know what they're like before downloading a single episode. Whether it's actual play, interviews, or informational stuff, I will help sort them all. So tune in to Sawyer's Thoughts, coming soon to a podcast app near you. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. I'm really excited to be back in the studio again with my two favorite co-hosts on the face of the planet, Mr. Lee Winika Miller, Mr. Glenn Myers. Gentlemen, how are things? How are you? It's very nice to go ahead and sit on the on the gaming table with you guys on Sunday. That was a whole lot of fun. It's been a really long time since the three of us have actually gamed together and without one of us running, so that was a lot of fun for me. It was awesome. Like I shared in our chat afterwards, it was amazing sitting at the virtual table with the two of you. The three of us do get to play a lot since we've started to started this podcast. But what we don't get to do is all three of us be on the same side of the of the table. Yeah. Like one of us is almost always going to be GMing for the other in most of the things we do. And right. this was an opportunity where we were not. And the three of us got to riff off each other, play against each other. The character you played, Josh, I've loved that character for years, but hmm. it was excellent playing a character who was a bit of a foil or working with your character in a foil kind of way. Oh yeah. Like, totally. Yeah. I don't think that's actually happened with that character and characters I've played in the past. I've either been in awe of your character because my characters have often been in awe of elves or what have you, right. but to be a character who's I'm not in yeah. awe of anything. I get what you're saying and I'm in opposition to what you're saying. Oh yeah. That was yeah. cool. I liked that banter. We got, we got and and was, we're all, let's just go ahead and be totally thinks we are all 
he does not know what's going to happen, but he thinks that we're all. <laughs> I can't <laughs> so, believe that you used the f bomb in my place, but also used it twice. So this is uh, this is Streams of Spiro for our listeners out there, a game run by Benito Sinatz that all three of us now play in. It's a live stream streamed, but you can also check it out on YouTube. And I agree, it was fantastic. Although I will say, while she was dealing with Andrezius's negative prickly nature <laughs> that what she was really thinking in the back of her mind was all right when we were voting for who to bring back who is it that voted for this stuff <laughs> yeah yeah look he was a choice that was when you told me that you were bringing back androsius i was like you're not going to bring back augustus you're not going to bring back Grail, the gigantic barbarian meat shield from the barbarian game you're not going to bring back any number of other people that i that could have really Androsius is certainly a choice. I will say too that his his history of rolling particularly poorly all the time started right from the very beginning when was like an hour into that game when I had to go ahead and make a wisdom save to go ahead and reconnect with my deity after being dead for a thousand years. <clears throat> and on that wisdom save, I rolled a two. So it was worse. Yep. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it could have been, been worse. You're absolutely right. <laughs> but that's the thing is Androsius's roles, they were always bad, but never worse. He very rarely fumbled, even the one where he shot the guy in the back of the head. Like that wasn't even a fumble. That was just a notoriously poor roll. But he never really rolled well. And it's, uh, that has that has continued. I, I felt bad using my shiny new fan roll dice to go ahead and roll with Androsius because I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to corrupt these dice. That's not going to be any fun. I'm going to have to get more. But uh, so we'll see. We'll see how this works out. Yeah, my dice were pretty decent. We didn't have to do a lot of rolling this time around because there were a lot of investigation type checks, history type checks, and my dice certainly satisfied. I am quite, I am almost definitely getting some of those recyclable dice from Fan Roll that Glenn yep. mentioned not too long ago, so that for the next combat, which will take place next month, so I have some hot dice to yep. roll for that, so I'm really I'm, I'm not sure you saw have. my high contrast black and silver rubber dice, which are made for rolling in person over VTT and games like that, because they're oh. So they won't very, go clackety-clackety-clack? Very, clack? very oh, quiet, no clackety-clack. Nice. Oh, they're fabulous, yeah. Do they bounce yeah, like a Super Bowl? Can you like throw them across the they, room and they, have them they come do back? They do, if you, so if you, so you can hear them, if I really drop it. Okay, I heard the one. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, so it's like, so, they're awesome, I love them. I gotta say, it's appropriate that we started automatically into our thing about playing this weekend, and it was with Benito, because though we haven't told you what it is yet, Benito's actually the person that suggested this episode topic that we're going to be talking about this year. Yeah, it's like I designed it this way. When we're like, what's our format going to be? I'm like, I'll figure it out. Here it is. Patreon supporter and friend of the show, Benito, who has been on the show before, sent the question to me a couple of weeks ago to go ahead and say, you know what? You guys do a bunch of stuff on the Storyteller's Toolbox and tips and tricks on how to be a better DM and everything like that, but you've never dove into the topic of why become a game master or a storyteller or a dungeon master in the first place. And he really wanted to go ahead and hear our thoughts on why and on how we got into it and why we got into it. So thank you very much to Benito. And I would like Thanks, to go ahead and, and absolutely throw the gauntlet and throw it out there that if any of our Patreon supporters want to hear a particular show, Drop us a comment. Let us know. Mm. Comment on one of the episodes on Patreon. You get early access to the episodes. But throw us a comment. Throw us an email. Throw us a message on Facebook. Something. Because we love our Patreon supporters, and we would love to go ahead and do more shows that you want us to do. So if you have ideas, go ahead and throw them out there. 
Anyway, all that to go ahead and say, that's what tonight's show is going to be about. We're going to get into why and how the three of us got into DMing and why we think you too, out there, faithful listener, should become a DM. If you're not currently running games, we're going to try to give you some, some, a little bit of a pep talk here about why you should be running a game and the kind of fun that you can have on the other side of the screen. Luminika, I'm going to start with you this evening. Talk a little bit about your history and you, how you got into DMing. I figure that's probably going to fill up the rest of the hour. That'll probably be the end of the show. So that's, I want you to go ahead and start and uh, yeah, we'll crack in. <laughs> so uh, how did I get a start as a DM slash GM in various games? Say... It started in the way that I first started playing regularly, not like that first pickup game at a Cub Scout camp out or and then later at a Boy Scout camp out. It was not the first session with a couple of the guys that I played with, but it was like right around that time. And I will mention a great character that I play in my Land of 18 Seas campaign, Compton Ertl Giantanis, which is a combination of three different names from the three people that truly got me going in this hobby. So Brian Compton, he was the first name in that character. Uh, a good friend of mine, Brian Compton, was the GM for several friends that played that invited me to my first really deep in session of the game. And I played a fighter. I had this deep backstory. They've been playing for a while. We were dealing with this stuff. My character gets killed. And then I got one of the greatest DM swings in the game. That's when he reveals to me the person that put me down, the big bad in this situation, was my character's older brother, who happened to be a ranger. And I'm like, <gasps> I was blown away by this turn. I played a couple, quite a few more sessions with those guys, different characters, different things. But that's not really where I started playing. Ertl was my friend Billy. He's the guy who actually invited me to Brian's first game. Great friend of mine. Like his family is my family. Love the man with all my heart and soul. Billy, you're the man straight up. And kudos to your young one. Gabriel looks awesome. Looks just like you at the same age, man. Uh, Giantanus is actually the last name of Marty's first character when I first ran my first GM game. I started playing with Marty. We hear him on the show all the time through our actual plays in the past and through our current game, one of our Patreon supporters. Great friend of the show. Great friend of mine. He is my brother from years back. When he started running the game, it was just the two of us playing four or five days a week, two or three hours a day after school, after homework, after chores. We just always played. And at one point he just said, I want to play too. And I'm like, yeah, you should get to play. It was unfair that I always got the fun of playing. He always had to run and prepare and do all these things. I should do that also. So the three people that got me into this hobby made the name for the character that was my first fifth edition player character. I nice. brought the three guys that brought me to this hobby with me to carry on. And I just loved being able to do that. That meant a lot to me. That's why that character means a lot to me. He's a major NPC in the current games that I run, my current homebrew world, because I wanted to pay homage to the guys that brought me to the dance in this case. And that's how I did it. So for me, the start was I didn't like the concept of there being a forever G DM. While there are so many of us, many of them are our patrons, and many of them are our patrons and play in our actual plays and our patron games because outside of this, they are always the forever DM. So what we offer here at Tabletop Journeys is a way for the forever DM 
to get a chance to play. The beauty of the games that we run is there are so many forever DMs within our games that it is a masterful gameplay experience. It really is. Yeah, and Josh, you and I have run so many games and I can't tell you how many times we finished a session and I call them like, you will not believe how cool this was because yeah. uh, GMs, they're just they're so in tune with the way a story can work and how to add to a story that it really adds to the playing experience for another GM running them. And I love to storytell. I love the idea of crafting an idea, and I like the idea of making the game I wish I could play in. That's not to say there are bad DMs out there, but at the end of the day, there's all of us have some story, whether it be a movie they watch, a television series they're watching, a one-shot yeah. that they saw, something that caught their eye. All of us have this one story that we wish we could play a character in. Right. I just got tired of waiting for somebody to run that game and just started <laughs> – making that game that's why my first experiences as a dm were all homebrew games because i had been playing for six months to a year and all i had were ideas of the kind of game i wanted to play so it very much varied from what marty did the types of stories i told i built my style over years because these are the types of things that other people weren't running and that's what i love that's why i got started that's awesome i love how you nice. I, I love how you wove that together yeah that actually segues nicely for me to follow up with you because yeah. there were two things you said in there that are going to resonate strongly right into my response. One was how much you learned as a DM and the, and the newness of it and the more complex storyline translating also back into your space as a player and the types of characters that you would create. Yeah, that's very true. When I started DMing a lot of non-D&D games, different games and different stories, because we already had you, Lewanika, and Marty running the crap out of our D&D games. So as we started looking into getting other games, like getting into other games when we were that age, like Recon and Paranoia, although Marty ran a mean Paranoia game too, those are the ones I started learning to run more than play in. I'm going to answer this question a little bit differently. I'm not just going to talk about why I did become a DM, but I'm going to talk about, tie it into why you should, because what DMing taught me most, what being a DM really did was taught me how to be a better player because all of the skills running a table come back into a much more concise form. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. I so much more understand the concept of backstory and tying him into the world more and working with my DM to enhance the story as opposed to just making it up as I go or sometimes being adversarial. It's okay if my character loses it in this situation because look what it does for the story arc. Being a DM helps you open your eyes and see the game from more perspectives than just the one character you're playing. And once you have that mindset, you'll bring it into other games with you. And that's why when Lee Winika says we have a Patreon cast full of forever DMs, that's why their role play when they get together is phenomenal. It's not because they make up a voice for every strange town person that you run into. It's because they work to tie the entire game and the entire story to every character and everybody to make it fun for every player at the table. And once you learn that skill, you're not just looking at your character sheet anymore. You're also looking at your friend, two people over, who looks a little bit lost. You're picking up on things and starting to be a more active member of the table as an assistant to the DM. And I don't mean being rules mongery or anything like that. Helping enhance the overall experience is really what learning to be a DM will help you bring to the table. 
And aside from that, honestly, you should do it because it's fun. You're absolutely right. It is, it's a ridiculous amount of fun. I have a different origin story from you guys because a lot of the role playing that I did when I was younger was not with superstar DMs. It was not like with legendary people that, um, for the most part, I'm not really in touch with them anymore. Just so you know, they're they're legendary now. They weren't legendary then. No, but like you guys have talked about like the games that Marty ran when you guys were young and everything like that. The games that your dad would run, Glenn, like that's like, these are not necessarily experiences that I had in my role-playing career. I was playing D and Warhammer and other games because I enjoyed role-playing. I enjoyed the theatric aspect of it and enjoyed doing the thing and enjoyed, really enjoyed puzzles and everything like that, really enjoyed math games. And so it was very much kind of like a cerebral thing. It wasn't until I got into LARPing that I started to understand what made being a player and being a storyteller or a dungeon master so different, right? Where the line was in between and how being a storyteller can give you an understanding of not not the mechanics, but can give you an understanding of the feeling of the game in a way that being a player can't. And the number of things that you need to go ahead and that you can shape and the number of things that you can affect when you're a storyteller. The first games that I ran were not tabletop games. They were live action games. And it really took developing plot, that kind of thing, in a kind of a weird environment when I first started, like when we first started with Darkness Down East, which was at the time known as LA by Night. And then seeing what's going on here. What is it that I actually want to do? What are the kind of things that I want to go ahead and do? What kind of things can I get away with? I think about, about the, the Tremere vampire Von Kessler, Lewinika, who is written pretty much exclusively to be your heel yeah. in a variety of ways. And like how, what are the dials that are available to me? What are the buttons and the levers that are available to me? And what happens if I twist and what happens if I push and what happens if everything like that? But it took me a solid few years of doing that before I was any good at it. <laughs> and I was so, very much kind of learning in the gauntlet. I'm going to call bullshit on that. First of all, <laughs> and forgive me, I'm going to digress. I'm about to dress down my, my co-host here and give him what for. And this is basically like when I try to be a little self-deprecating and Glenn will not let me get away with it. This is what I'm doing right here. First of all, I was never aware that was the first time you'd ever story told a game or ran a game. I was not aware of that. When I joined Darkness Down East and I said, I'm going to play my very first werewolf. I've been playing vampires in multiple games under multiple storytellers for a couple years at this point. I'd even played a ghoul alongside you a couple years before, about a year and a half before that. Mm -hmm. To great effect, one of my favorite characters of all time, Zachary Tajij. I even still have the badge and card that I made for that character somewhere in my house. That's how much I love that character. I will call bullshit because you showed no signs, at least to me. And we were good friends then, but we were not nearly as close as we are today. This is These were our formative friendship years. And I can tell you, you showed no sign to me that you were new at this. You, it sounded, that. it felt to me that you had been doing this for far many years longer than most of the LARP storytellers I dealt with. The possible exception would have been Jamie and how she ran the guru part of your game. Yeah. I loved Von Kessler. He was a great heel. 
I can't <laughs> tell you how awesome it was to drive an SUV into the in, into the heart of his chantry <laughs> into the heart and of the start chantry. whooping on his vampires. That was awesome. Or yeah. walking into a party he was throwing <laughs> with another guru and start rocking DMX. Y'all gonna make me lose my mind yeah, up yeah. in here. Like yeah. the fact that you had the ability to roll with some of those changes was awesome. The fact that you knew well enough to say, hey, I'm going to make a character that's your opposition. It makes sense given the nature of the character you're playing and this character and where he comes from as a bad guy to have some racial animosity. How far can I go? Are you comfortable with that? You did all of this. We give ourselves a lot of crap for not doing that back in the day, but you did do that when it counted. That was one of those moments. And I was like, you and me, I feel safe with that. Yeah. You covered me in this is a safe space. We can explore some things and we can have some fun with and these you and I can have some situations. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a friggin' blast. Like I said, yeah. our formative years of friendship happened through the course of this and several other games also, but it was a lot through there. So yeah. pooey on you for telling me you were not good at it. <laughs> I defy anybody I to say that. you were not good at it. To uh, be fair, and I'll when, sta- I, when and I'll I do this to Lee Wanika, it takes a lot less time. Yeah. It does. It does. But I will. I want to be very clear how good yeah. you were at it. I appreciate I that. I want to like, really lock, lock that in. You were that is important because it's hard for us to tout our own talents or toot our own horns. But what we're good at, we're good at it. Yep. So I think, and I think if I'm to start getting into the things that you should be thinking about, if you're starting to go ahead and game, I think that the lesson in here for me is that, so again, I did a lot of live action gaming and then I did a lot of live action storytelling. I did not start storytelling tabletop games until after we started playing Alanis and Androsius, who is a thorn in everyone's side. He's a prickly jerk face, right? By design. He and his life partner basically ran off to go ahead and found their own city. And so the journey to Deshkar, which was the city that he founded, that was the first tabletop campaign that I ever ran. I had played a bunch of tabletop and I had story told a bunch of LARPing until I found the voice, until I found the story that I wanted to tell, I could not story tell. That's really what it came to is that the one thing that as a dungeon master or a game master, you need to know is what is it you want to do? Not even so much, even what game system do you want to play? Not even so much. You don't need to know every detail. You don't need to know everything like that. But for example, if you say, you know what I really want to do? I loved the Candlekeep Mysteries book. I loved the Candlekeep Mysteries book. And what I want to do is I want to run every mission from start to finish in the Candlekeep Mysteries book. That's the game that I want to run. Those are the stories that I want to tell. Now you're ready. Now you can do it. But it is hard if you're thinking about getting into storytelling, if you don't know what it is that you want to do. And there are games that allow for that. There are, like, I listened to a fantastic podcast, and I wish that I could remember the name of it, but basically every game session, including the storytelling, is totally improv. There is no preparation up front. I couldn't do that. That's not what I can do. For me, that's the one thing that I needed to know. I needed to know what story it was that I wanted to tell before I could get behind the screen. And one of the ways, to, another way to look at that is there's a lot of barriers to entry to storytelling. Sure. At least perceived barriers. And one of them is being, and one of the biggest ones is being comfortable doing it. And everyone's going to have a dense, different answer for that. 
you needing to have the exact story you wanted to tell makes perfect sense. Yeah. I know people who would prefer to tell a module story and they're an excellent storyteller doing that than to create their own story because they can enhance what's already there, but they don't like to have to come up with all of it. Yeah. I think the takeaway there is it is intimidating and there's nothing, to, there's no way to make it just poop, not be. But you can find your way to it. You can find your story. You can work with your existing storyteller if you have one. Because I think this is the best way that you can transition out there if you're hesitant. Because it's hard to do to zero to 60 on your own just reading the, that beginning part of the role-playing book when it says, how do you play a role-playing game? And then to come out of the gate running, being the guy behind the screen. But if you've been part of a game for a while, talk to your storyteller about it and ask them, hey, I'm interested in learning to storytell too. Could you give me some advice? Could I maybe work with me on a one shot that I could run sure. and take over a night for your gaming group too? Yeah. I love what you're saying there, Glenn. And it reminds me of a campaign that you ran or a game that you ran, Recon, which was an amazing session. Like, I think that was a one, it might have been two sessions, but that was. That, that was like formative for me in the Palladium system. Like I had already played Rifts, but I wasn't really digging it until we played Recon. Like the character I made in that game, I absolutely loved. And those of you who are avid listeners of the show or those of you who are new listeners that want to go back and listen to the episode about the spy game, the big major NPC that I played in that game, Drake, that is a modernized version of the character I played in that Recon game. Nice. That Recon game is the back history for the game that we played in the spy game that all those events that we played through with the air America guys and half the party getting whacked by the CIA on the mm -hmm. tarmac when we were ending and my character just seeing that this was about to go down, slipping into the jungle and disappearing. That's the back history for the game that we just played. And it is a game that I'll be bringing back. I'll probably be doing with everyday heroes at some point mm -hmm. in the future. I love I, it. And that's another plus of being a player first and then coming to the storyteller seat is you have so much plot that you can mine from your previous characters and your previous games. Yep. Don't make it exactly like it. It wouldn't be any fun. You can have that character from way back that's now bigger. and more. I love it. That's what I did. When I started running Marty, running games from Marty, it was Marty's game world, just my stories. They went to different places. They did slightly different things, but it was Marty's game world. NPCs that he had in his game world were NPCs in my world. Similarly, years later, I think it's eight, eight, seven, eight years ago now, when you were running Rifts most recently, what happened when I was like, I, I think when you needed a break, I'm like, I think I can run in this world. Do you mind right. if I do that? My Rifts games were in your game world. Totally different part of the game world, dealt with totally different things, but I uh, often, every couple of episodes, would give some kind of homage to whatever, so I tied in that shared universe. I personally, yeah. as a storyteller... And you collaborated with me periodically about the world, because I wasn't running at the time, but just yep. to keep things consistent. Keep, to keep things consistent, and also to egg you on to please start running that world again because I have a character <laughs> that I really like. But yeah, I may reappear in Savage Rifts yeah. just as a possible there foreshadowing someday. But mm. I loved that. It's very similar to when I started running satellite games from Alanis with Benito's games. I found a way to say, these things are happening. I love this. I'm in this world. But man, I really liked that city. And I thought those NPC characters that he started with were really great. I want to expand on that. Let's do more of that. And I would build that world. I look at when I'm in a campaign that I really like, I look at that like a campaign book from a major publisher. There's all these stories that are left untold. And so what I tend to do is 
go into those worlds and build that story out. I have since come to building my own stories, but it is largely the world that Marty and I created through our back and forth DMing back in the 80s. The land of 18 seas is 30 some odd years after the fact, the continuation of those games that we started back in 86. And so I think I land squarely in this realm of if there's a story I like, I like to build something off of that. So there's an unspoken language. And generally, I'll do it with brand new players. But when people come to my games, they're like, man, that's such a deep, rich background. It's because it's part of a tapestry that has already been woven. You are part of the new strands that are being folded into this tapestry. But this is not where it began, and this is certainly not where it's going to end. And I think that's the beauty of the the role-playing experience going from player to storyteller. Yeah. Yep. I said Very well said. Do you want early access to every Tabletop Journeys episode? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? Or, heck, do you just want to support the show? Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing the show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. So what about going the other direction? So you talked about going from player to storyteller, and we've all said it, that it gave us a different appreciation, but I want to elaborate on this a little bit. Going once you've been behind the screen and once you've seen what that's like, how did it shape your playing experience? What was it that you feel like it brought to the other side of the table once you had been behind the screen? I started with Lee and Nico last time. Glenn, what about you? Once I started running games, my perspective from the player's seat, I mean, it shifted a lot. I mentioned some of it earlier, but suddenly I wasn't just playing Zorn the master of chain with an old friend Ian Sudamac running it back when we played a lot. And that particular post high school, pre real adults <laughs> <laughs> time frame. And I wasn't just seeing that character and what he was doing anymore. Now I was looking at the whole story. One of the biggest things that it did for me was it ended I, want, I don't want to say the last because it took a while for, for adversarial play to really end as we all grew and advanced, Yeah, but it took the biggest chunk out of my adversarial play style. Up until I started running regularly, my greatest joy was to see the look on my DM's face when I knew I just totally effed him and he had no idea what he was going <laughs> to do. And don't get me wrong, that can still happen and can still be funny, sure. but I don't do it on purpose anymore. Once I learned to play as the storyteller, once I learned to run the game for everybody, to try to make the game and the story and the plot, all of it just continue to grow epically, which doesn't mean we always succeed because you're going to have epic failures that later lead to great successes. But seeing the whole picture really took a whole lot of the bite out of me as a player. It also gave me a good perspective on seeing where a plot might be heading as I got more practiced at writing plots. So sometimes it, it, 
also increased my strategy, my sin, strategy, Jason, is that a word? The amount I strategized as a player <laughs> because I had a better idea of where the story was possibly headed based on the cues that, that the storyteller was giving me because I'm like, dude, I ran an adventure kind of like this a few weeks ago. So those two would be the biggest for me. The biggest perspective changes would be seeing the whole story and wanting it to be awesome. So I stopped being an adversary to the story and it changed the way to some degree my smarter characters anyway, because my dumb characters didn't strategize at all. My smarter characters <laughs> perceived the game world. Interesting. I want to point out the irony here. So I'm the one that's dropping the F-bombs. You're the one, Glenn, that's inventing words tonight. Liwanika, maybe that means you'll be right about something tonight, since you're taking on the Glenn role. That's- or perhaps it'll be succinct. Yeah, that shit ain't sailing. That shit ain't sailing. I'm going to take me a long time. Let's be real. He's Um, he's taking a long time to say how succinct he's going to be. (laughs) In 500 words or less. Um, So if you're asking me about perspective change, what's interesting is because I started playing with a solo DM, so it's just two of us, one player, one GM, something I was always and consistently doing was obviously working with NPC characters. I also played with a cast of supporting characters that I created, but I was either talking with myself or I was talking with the DM through NPCs. So I often dealt with NPCs, but when I sat at tables with other players, I rarely spoke with NPCs until I really started running games. And then I realized NPCs in a game that's crafted well, are there for a purpose. Interact with them. They will add to the story. My big perspective change was, what are the things I'm going to do as a player to add to the story for the enjoyment of the storyteller and the other players? I started looking at, if he took the time to build an NPC, or to have little handouts from this NPC, or to have a voice for this NPC, or to talk about this NPC's Thinking of Total Recall, man, I got five kids. If he's if the storyteller's like, you got me, I ain't got no kids. If you, if the storyteller's taking the time to do all these things, whether it's Bobbit the Goblin or whatever, or whatever the case may be, if the storyteller's taking the time to do that, every time as a player you're interacting with that character in a meaningful way, you're making the GM enjoy the game in a way that not every table they run for will do. So I started really doing that a lot. In the LARP sense, it was, I'm really going to tee off on this Kessler guy, right? But it wasn't, I'm going to do everything I can to end him in the first scene. It was, I like the back and forth as a player. I'm going to find a reason why the character wouldn't or couldn't do a thing. And we're going to have this interaction. We're going to have this adversarial relationship. If you think about a television show like Hawaii Five O, he was the more modern one. He was up against the major villain for the first four or five of 10 seasons. It wasn't, find the guy, kill the guy. My biggest hatred of most superhero movies is the greatest villains get killed in one movie. So I started doing that as a player. It's like, how can we work on the on, on this villain or on this antagonist? What's the pathos for this antagonist? Can they be turned? Can I find out the deeper story? Can we do something to help build this world in a unique way? And yeah. so when I went back to the player side, of the, or when I go back to, has pretty consistently been, again, how can I be additive? But I was specifically looking at building the world, filling out the outer edges of and the borders of that tapestry I spoke of earlier. 
Yeah, I totally with you on the superhero movie thing. It's been out for a while, so I don't feel too bad about spoiling this. Hmm. The fact that at the end of Quantumania, like that's the end of the Kang the Conqueror storyline. It felt really empty. Like they had left a lot of that story on the cutting room floor and I wanted to see it. Not being a comic book guy, not having read a lot of the Quantumania storyline. I wish that I had more. So I'm going to help you out with this. Because it's important to know. One, there's some real-world meta issues there that are important well, to know. Sure, with Jonathan Majors. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm not going to get into that during this episode, but Jonathan Majors has stuff going on. Um, <laughs> He's got some, he has some issues that make It's important yeah. to note that Kang the Conqueror is still going to be around because, again, multiverse, again, multiple versions. Look to season one of Loki and the stuff that will come in season two of Loki. If you're yeah, watching right. all of the Marvel stuff, and that's all of them. Yeah, You'll know Kang's not gone. I doubt it'll be played by John Majors again. Comic Kang, books have Kang the upside of gone. longevity, so they're able to bring every villain they ever killed back in some form or another. But right. yeah, and movies, they're poop gone, and that, it can be so disappointing because sometimes they're fantastic. If you've took yeah. the time to build a villain that people despise, if they are emotionally invested in your villain and then you just whack them, total waste. Yep. Yeah. W- waste of energy. So yeah. I try to build on that pathos in games. Yep. But sometimes your players are really obnoxious and do their absolute best to make sure that nobody can ever get away. But that was back when we were adversarial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was, I mean, we would depart- go to great lengths. We would sacrifice a small town to make sure the bad guy did not get away. The departure from overly adversarial DMing has right. been or good for the general. hobby. Yeah. There is always going to be a little bit of adversarial nature to what a DM does. I think that approaching it from a position that says to your players, we're all in this together. And right. these are, the, this is just what I get to play. I get to play the heels. I get to play the big bads. I get to go ahead and play the things that you interact with, but we're all still playing and we're all on the same side playing the same game is much better than the old like Gygaxian. My job as a DM is to go ahead and make sure that none of you make it out alive. You know what I mean? That's, that's the hobby is better for that transition. True story. Um, And now if you want to play that kind of game, you can instead of every table you sit down. Exactly. And there are always elements of that come in. I'm trying to think of, so for example, I mean, you guys haven't played it yet because it's not Halloween yet, but the game that I am writing for Halloween this year, the Star Trek Adventures campaign that I'm writing, the one shot that I'm writing for this year. That is absolutely adversarial DMing. I am absolutely going into that with the mindscape that I'm going to go ahead and eliminate most of the player characters because it's a Star Trek Adventures module that's based on aliens and that mindset. Because of how successful our Halloween game with aliens was a couple of years ago and because we're doing just a ton of Star Trek content, I really thought that could be a really interesting crossover because of the threat and momentum mechanics that exist in Star Trek. I'm very Mm -hmm. interested to go ahead and basically take the, I don't know, the same players that we've been playing or the same characters that we've been playing with, put them into an Aliens-like scenario. It's not quite like Aliens, but it's it's definitely eldritch in its nature. Let's just go ahead and put it that way and see how how that works. I'm really excited to go ahead and see how that works out. So you could totally, you you could totally genre blend that for a Halloween episode and just straight up bring in the xenomorphs as long as it's like one infected ship that gets destroyed. So there aren't anything, there's not anything to get away. Then when might they show up in Federation space again? No one knows. 
yeah, I feel, I, I don't want to say too much. And this is, yeah. so here's the classic, like always DM issue is that I would love to tell you guys exactly what I'm planning because I think it's really going to be very cool. I learned a lot from watching Picard season three and I crossed a lot of stuff out because Picard season three took some of my ideas, but, but the ones that remained are stronger for it. But And that's a little known secret that the secret worst part of being a DM <laughs> is writing amazing yeah. plot that you're dying to talk to people about because it's so awesome. You yeah. can't because you'll give it away. So this is where I want to make sure that I talk about tabletop journeys and I talk about our group and I talk about us and the way we communicate with the people that have joined our community, have joined our Patreon. Like I said, we have a Patreon group that is largely forever DMs or pretty close to forever DMs. And yeah. one of the things that they have the opportunity to do is bend our ears about the games they run outside of this group. If you're a forever DM and you want to play, hashtag call your boys TTJ. If you're a forever DM that just wants to talk about this game, shout us out, chat with us, tell us the game. If you've got questions about the game you're running, how might that work or what resources would you bring to bear for X, Y, or Z between the three of us, all the systems we've worked on and done and all the contacts we have in various systems, Josh's shelf to his left or right as he's sitting facing the camera. I have a closet with a bookshelf in it. That's like, immense filled with games and products glenn's c drive is chock full of pdfs and stuff <laughs> for the various games we have a lot of resources here and the ability to answer a ton of questions if you're a forever dm that wants to talk about your game hashtag call your boys ttj light up our community page with the games you're running. We would love to see it. We'd love to talk about it. We'd you love to, to give you that outlet so you have a, a home to, to vent I do actually still have a couple of books. Doesn't really fit the conversation anymore. I do still have a couple of physical copies. Like, I actually thought I had given you my copy of Paranoia before it was reprinted. But I didn't, and I was glad. Sorry. But I found out it's worth like 300 <laughs> bucks, so I'm going to keep that one. But I thought I'd given that to you, because I gave a lot of my physical copies to yep. gamer friends when I moved into an RV, because space is an issue now, right? Yeah. So Lee Winnicka got a bunch of my books. My son got most of my 5e books. But I've still got a few kicking around. I will say that is one thing that I that I was not necessarily prepared for as a storyteller. As and this very much may be the way that I uh, proceed through the hobby. Right? Is that as a storyteller, there is a tremendous amount of influence from professional outspoken dungeon masters who do very successful actual plays that are broadcast on television and responsible largely for the renaissance of the fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons game. I'm talking about you, Matt Mercer. And so yeah. there's a tremendous amount of pressure, I think, to go ahead and run amazing games with all of the toys and all of the props and all of the everything up front. And I am, as very much a collector of books and a reader of material, I still have three shelves of music scores over to my actual left that are full of notations and things from when I finished my composition degree, right? So like th things that I have not opened in 10 years because at some point I may just need to go ahead and remember, you know, what the bassoon part for the third movement of the Bartok Concerto for Orchestra is. I may just need that information at some point and therefore it's at my fingertips. I very much storytell in the same way where like, Limonika, you're talking about the cabinet over here behind me with all the games in it most of them i have read through some of them i have flipped through only but i'm always looking for that 
interesting tidbit or that interesting approach or that little rule that I can use to go ahead and augment the rule set, whatever rules that I'm happening to go ahead and run. And so that's the other side of storytelling for me is that strict adherence to the rules is not necessary. And that's going to be anathema to a lot of people, right? That's going to be anathema to a lot of people that are like, no, the game has, the game is the game and you don't deviate from the rules. For me, I've always been story over mechanics. It's always been that way. And that if players want to do something, or if I want to do something as a storyteller, my job is not to go ahead and say, oh boy, can we do that? Is that supported by the rules? That's my job at that point to say, ooh, player wants to do a cool thing, not totally covered by the rules. How can I take the toolbox that is the rules on the paper and modify them or augment them in such a way that the thing that they can do has a reasonable challenge, has a reasonable chance for success, has a reasonable chance of failure, but is still going to be fun and is able and that they are able to go ahead and be supported to do the cool thing. What are the mechanics that I can go ahead and introduce or to go ahead and run with or vary to go ahead and make that happen? When you were talking about the wealth of information to your right and your left and the fact that you are a giant information squirrel and that you keep everything, <laughs> it's true, it I occurred know, I mean, to me yeah. that one of the things that's, again, bar to entry for DMing that could be out there for people who are thinking about taking the storyteller's chair is the cost of materials. It can be super intimidating. Yeah. You're hearing about all of this stuff that we've got. I've got thousands of PDFs. Lee, Wanika, and Josh have bookshelves and closets full of this information at their fingertips to be able to run fantastic games. But Josh is also spot on that you can't go from zero to 60. You got to start smaller. Don't be afraid to start smaller. If you're playing 5e as an example, and all you've got is the three core books, some of the people you're playing for might be like, but I really want to play this race or this subclass from a book you don't have. I'm sorry, but if you want to play in my game, it's okay to stick to your guns. Because if you don't have that information, you shouldn't feel compelled to spend $60 on a book because somebody else wants to play a single subclass out of it. Yeah. If they have the book, you can collaborate. And that's another way to get past it. But don't feel like you have to buy everything. Don't feel like you need every book, every supplement, every module in order to have all of the information ready just in case a question comes up that you don't know the answer to. Google is your friend. Yeah. That's actually how I find almost everything at the tip of my <laughs> fingertips now that I am oh. a mobile DM. You can go to totally. Google and type 5e and then your question and your, yeah. the answer will come up every time. Oh, yeah. Games make that so much easier. <laughs> yeah, I will say this, and uh, I have not been the greatest fan of Watsy in the last eight eight months. But I will say there is one thing that I really like about Watsy, even if I don't like the manner in which they do things, and that is with D and D Beyond. If you are a GM and you are building a campaign through their service, players have access to what you have. And players can buy their own things so you can at least see the rules that apply to that character. So if they buy a thing, put it on a character, use a GM, you may not have access to that book, but you have access to that character as long as it's built within your campaign. So you can click on the thing, right. read the rules, and make a decision. If you have questions about that, you've got shows and community groups like Tabletop Journeys. You've got groups on Facebook like Raw or Rules as Intended. Raw, by the way, says Rules as Written. There are any number of ways for you to get answers about your specific questions that are of no or little cost to you. 
Similarly, if you are a GM and you really have one particular monster from one particular book, D&D Beyond does allow you to go buy that one particular monster and add it to your cadre of things. Or if you like that one feat or that one subclass, it allows you to buy that thing at fairly low cost given that. I'm not trying to sell Watsy specifically, but I'm saying that is a big feature for the official 5e game. Right. That said, there are any number of very low-cost homebrew options that are available either on DMs Guild or DriveThruRPG for not only the 5e game, but for all the other systems that we talk about. Star Trek Adventures has a free quick start guide, basic characters. There is the BC Holmes character builder for that game. SWAT has some resources that are at very low cost through DriveThruRPG. And various things. Some of the other services, Pathfinder has some free options available. Tales of the Valiant is has and is building free options as they bring out their new game for 2024. There are ways to start this game at very low cost, and you can run a very fulfilling and great game at no cost. So don't allow cost to be a barrier of entry. Simply don't allow yourself to be forced into buying more than you have the resources to reasonably and responsibly manage. I will say this. I started GMing with a sum total of zero books. Marty had the red box set. Marty had a couple books. When I turned to GM, he just handed them to me. I borrowed them. They were at my house when I prepped for a game and we go to his house and play or we play at my house. While I GM'd, he held the player's book. I held the DMG and we just played. I did not own a single D&D book until 1990. I had been playing for seven years before I owned a single game book. I owned a couple sets of dice. I had pencils, papers, and I had notebooks, reams of notebook paper and character sheets and things like that. I had a couple character pamphlets that friends had picked up for me for holidays at the Citadel game store over the years. But I did not buy a single book until seven years into this hobby. And I tell people this all the time. I have been at various means throughout my life. Sometimes I've been high in the hog, had plenty of money to spend. Other times I've been low ball in the dollars and not had enough money to barely eat. But I've always been able to role play because whatever I have, and I have a ton of it now, I bought it over the years. My collection is huge, but it is my collection that I've grown over 37 years or Absolutely. over 40 years. Do not let cost hold you back from a great hobby. There are so many ways, low cost options to do this. You can go to the library in some cities and borrow the books out of the library or just play them while you're there. Yep. That's a great resource. I'm glad you mentioned Actually, that. I never even thought about true. that. Yeah. It's not just D-books that you can find at the library. Yeah. Role-playing's grown enough that there are often, there's often, a, it's not big, but there's often a small section with a few different games there. That's yeah. a great resource for anybody out there that's yep. looking to try a new game without having a heavy outflow of cash. One of our patrons actually runs games out of his local library in Maine. I yep. Dan Fields, I believe yeah, Dan Dix Fields. Yeah. Field. I, I might be wrong on the town. He might have actually be going a town or two over to where he goes but there are places where you can find these resources do not let cost hold you back so if you're looking at considering this and anything we're saying resonates with you you want to tell your own story you want to help your forever dm get a break and get some play time in you want to start having different perspectives you just want to see what it's like don't ever let cost get in your way yeah. just do the daggum thing
just do the daggone thing. Like that's, that's exactly the message that we want to go ahead and pass across here is that if you have a story in your heart that you want to share with your friends, just do the daggone thing. It really, it's, it can be intimidating and it shouldn't be because it's really about telling that story. Yeah. It really rewarded. If you've got a passing interest and you haven't even told anybody yet, that's okay. Yeah. But try it. Yeah. Because you're never going to know if you like it until you sit down and try to run the whole shebang. And if you hate it, you can go back to a player chair and be a forever player. <laughs> exactly. And guess what? You'll still get the benefit of that perspective. So you'll still know right. the things that made it easy for you mm-hmm. or hard for you. So you're doing more of those things to make it easy for the next DM. Yeah. But if it went really well and you liked it, then now what you've done is you've expanded your role-playing circle of friends and allowed your forever DM to now take a seat amongst them and become a player again. And yeah. y'all can alternate campaigns, yeah. maybe branch out, bring in two groups, run them together. Yeah. All kinds of creativeness opens up after that. Play a different game. Think, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. possibilities. Yeah. 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 So. Let's let's wrap up there, gentlemen. I think that we have Ben. I hope we answered your question. I hope that I hope that that satisfied what you were looking for. A great topic. Again, we'd love to go ahead and hear more from our patrons. Please let us know other episodes that you'd like us to cover. Let's talk about next week on the channel. First off, on Tuesday, the latest Star Trek Preservations episode, Echoes in Fanium, is running. This is the continuation of our Zindi storyline and the shenanigans that ensued. That'll be a that's a fun time. That's a, that's going to proceed on Tuesday, and then on Friday speak about stories to share on Friday, we will start talking about the second book in the latest Dragonlance trilogy, Dragons of Fate. I'm a few chapters in. It's so good. It's so good. I'm so glad that Dragonlance is back. Yeah, just in general. Anyway, that is that is next week on our show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We want to hear more from you, as always. Why did you get into storytelling? How did you get in? What's, what's your journey? And what have you found by crossing back and forth across the screen? Before we close for the night, I just want to... We talked about it at the top of the show. I just want to mention at the bottom of the show... FanRoll Dice, we have an affiliate link. We're happy to be working with that company and talk about some great dice. We're all, most of us are all dice goblins. So we (laughs) invite you, if you're looking for a set of pretty cool dice, whether they be the recyclables, whether they be the mineral ones or the geode ones or the gemstone ones, the liquid filled, there's so many options. If you want a showpiece or if you just want to pick up some dice, we invite you to go to our page, click on the link below, and and buy some dice. There's a discount involved, and it does really go a long way to help help the show, help us do what we do, and help build this community. Fan roll dice, y'all. Yeah, I love fan roll dice. Filled. I haven't even started playing with it yet because it's a big, it's a chonker. I mean, it's a, it's like super heavy, but it's like the nice three inch. But it's I, I don't know if it comes across well on video, but it's like sparkly and blue on the inside. You can actually read that from here, which at my advanced years is nice. (laughs) (laughs) Super clear. Super clear. All right. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Like I said, we'll be back again next week talking about Dragons of Fate, the latest Dragonlance novel. Till then, have a great week, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody. Good night, all. Night, all. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday. 
and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends Awake.